BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And a great big happy 4th of July, everybody. Great to see you today. I uh, hope you are uh, enjoying the holiday. Uh, and thank you for spending a little part of it with us, with this uh, special edition uh, of The uh, Bill Press Show, the special holiday uh, edition. Sorry we're not wrapped in red, white, and blue today, but um, you know we're here for the spirit of the occasion at any rate. And happy to be joined uh, for this special broadcast by uh, Adam Smith. You've seen him many times on the regular edition of the Bill Press Show. Adam Smith, who is the director of Ev- executive director, I guess, of Every Voice. Hey, Pete. Uh, Pete, I just call you Pete. What am I doing this morning? Hi, Adam. I'm like, <laughs> clearly it's a holiday, right? That's it. Bill, exactly. good morning. Uh, so, Bill Press. Yes, good morning, Bill. Good nice morning. to see you. <laughs> the last time Adam was in, I was in, that, I was in your chair. So. I, uh, sorry about that. It happens all it's the time. It's too hot. It's too hot. This 90-degree weather is like That's why Peter grew a beard so people could tell that's us. Right. Yeah. That's right. Look, <laughs> tell us apart. Very, very smart, <laughs> handsome, progressive man. I had to get a beard because right. it just happened. Yes. Yep. Okay. Now, Adam. Yeah. You, so you're, you're basically uh, in charge of uh, the corruption angle of the Trump administration and the Trump White House. And we must admit, it's a full-time job. You know what? It's a target-rich environment. Yeah, there's I mean, a lot going on no, every day. I mean, we came from uh, eight years of Barack Obama, which yeah. were basically scandal-free. Yeah. I mean, I was covering the White House every day then. I don't remember. There any... are a couple small things here and there, but nothing that people got that up in arms about. No, I mean, and nobody was tossed out for you know um, stealing money yeah. or or uh, making money off yeah. the job or kind of whatever. And we've seen a whole string of it with the Trump administration. Yeah. And the latest one that just blows my mind is First Lady Melania Trump. Now, normally, First Ladies are always off, yeah. kind of, uh, you know, they're not open season on First Ladies, right? right. Uh, and rightfully so. I respect that. But when they do something wrong, you know, you got to cover it. Now we learned that the first lady herself has been out there taking advantage of her position. How? How? How so? Well, so I guess before she, before they entered the White House, there were all these. Um, she had this photographer take all these professional photos of her and her family, and they're available on Getty Images, which is a stock photo website. And um, right. she and stock photos every news. News site has like subscriptions to Getty or AP mm-hmm. or some sort of photo bank. Yeah. And but the difference is, um, any of those photos that were taken uh, before the presidency, she profits from when sites use them. And there's, I think there was a clause that said they could only be used on positive stories. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just you know when when people are writing about her and writing about the administration, she's making money off of it. 
Yeah, and and with with a string attached. And the big string is if you use any of these photos yeah. and any stories that you publish, you have to, it has to be all positive, yeah. all sweetness and light. Yeah. Right. No negative comments about the Trump family, or you can't use this photo. Yeah. And they have to pay to use that photo. Yeah, and I don't know how Getty works, but I would imagine that they should have disclosed that to news outlets that the the president uh, would have profited from those pictures. Like, I think it's strange to me that there wasn't sort of um, something that says she will make money off these photos because I would assume that some of the news outlets would have not used them if they knew that. Well, but they are paying for the photos. And yes. You're, you're right. I mean, in the news biz, there's some... Um, not everybody can have a photographer at every event, right? Yeah. So there are sources you go to if you're a local news station or a local newspaper or a national. To, yeah. to, if you don't have your own people there where you can get photos of those events or of those personalities. Yeah. Sometimes they're available for nothing. Uh, and sometimes you have to pay. Yeah. So Getty is one of those places where you would have to pay. Yeah. Now, normally there would not be a string attached, but there is. So in the financial forms, we found out about this. Uh, I think it was NBC News that first broke the story. Uh, so the, the financial forms have to be filed by people in public office, including the first lady. Yeah. Even she, she's not elected herself. And the form says that, okay, you have to report an income from $100,000 up to a million dollars. That's the range. Yeah. It's a pretty big range. Well, you know, this also speaks to how our ethics laws aren't really prepared for people like Trump and the billionaires he put in his cabinet. We just aren't prepared for it. And so you have these huge ranges. You have, like, things that you would that, um, that we need to update our ethics laws to, like, uh, be prepared for rich people who get elected like um, like Trump and others. But I, I've seen these same re- kind of reports of or forms members of Congress fill out. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are your the stocks that you own? Well, it's somewhere between fifty thousand and you know five million. Yeah. In in such a company, you, yeah. you don't know where they are in there. I always assume that they're near the high end. Right. You, probably. I mean, this is part of the problem when you have like members of Congress writing their own ethics rules. Is they're going to find ways to like exactly. to like uh, yeah. make things a little less transparent than they should be. Right. And members of Congress, by the way, should not be like trading in stocks. Like, and I got they should put everything in a blind trust. There's no reason a member should member should be trading individual stocks and individual companies. I think that's really strange that we allow that. Because there's there's almost no way that you could be a member of Congress and not end up having to vote on. Something that's going to benefit one of the countries. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly if you have a mutual fund, yeah. you probably don't even know all the companies. Yeah, and even if it's like not corrupt, your your advisor yeah. does it. It just raises these really bad questions. Exactly. So back to the first lady. Yeah. So she's making up to a million dollars a year, maybe more, out of family photos, uh, and while she's in the White, which people, one, I think is safe to say wouldn't give a damn about, would not even look at, wouldn't consider publishing if she were not first lady of the United States. Yes. So they're taking she is taking advantage of her office or his office yeah. to make a lot of money. Yeah. Like the rest of the family, they figured out how to monetize the presidency. Got it. Uh, and this comes in the wake of Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner reporting, I guess under the same reporting, the same rules of same forms, 
that they made $82 million in outside income yeah. last year yeah. while working in the White House. Yeah, no, they are making a bunch of money. Um, they have said that, you know, this is like, uh, we're not in control of it. It's other people doing it. Like, Ivanka's not ahead of her company. But they're still making a bunch of money. You know, Ivanka made a couple million dollars off of the D.C. hotel here. So as, like, corporate trade groups, foreign governments, uh, donors, others with a stake in the administration are spending money at the Trump Hotel, she's profiting from that. And it raises real questions about when the administration makes decisions, when Ivanka pushes something, when Donald Trump pushes something, why that decision is being made. She's making money for, off the hotel because of her sh her share of the ownership yes, of the hotel. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Right? Yeah, she's a part owner of it. Okay. And, of course, the person who's the biggest owner of it... Is the president. Is the president himself. Yeah. Yeah. So... If she's making two million off the hotel, he, he made a lot more he than made, that. He made he made a bunch of money last year off the hotel. Yes, I don't remember the exact number, but yeah. um, the financial forms that he released a couple weeks ago or whenever that was. Yes. So the eighty-two million between her and her husband, uh, that includes also uh, her own jewelry, accessories, clothing line. Yeah. But you say she doesn't maybe running it on a day-to-day, -day, but she's still yeah. getting the, the money. The one thing they did do, which is, you know, makes sense, is that they set up structured payments. So Ivanka makes structured payments. She doesn't, her payment, her salary from a company won't come in based on if they have an increased profit or not. She will receive the same amount. Mm -hmm. And that was their way of saying she's not profiting off the presidency because if she, if she helps to sell more dresses, mm -hmm. she won't make more money. It still like raises a lot of questions, especially because they, you know, their her company, their clothes are made in sweatshops in like foreign countries and foreign countries that we are sort of dealing with. And so there's some questions there though. And she's still making money off yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. Right. And she wears her clothes too, so she'll like wear her clothes out, and so she's actually advertising her clothes as she's even just like walking around the White House. Uh, and um, that includes also, I gather, uh, Jared Kushner's real estate deals. Yes, absolutely does. His um, he has still has a stake in his family's real estate business. I think he actually was involved in one new purchase of a building uh, last year. He was tied to a new purchase, but. Um, yeah, no, they're just making a bunch of money. And on those real estate deals, a lot of them are loans or deals that he's made with, uh, as we've seen uh, and it's been reported on, uh, in companies that he's also negotiating with, like in the Middle East. Yes. For the, national security reasons or for the part of the peace process in the Middle East. Yeah, no, the family is absolutely seeking foreign investments um, to, to cover some of the problems they have with their buildings and other things like that. And there are some real – there's like a, a an instance in which like the Qatari government was uh, meeting with Jared Kushner at the White House while his dad was negotiating an investment from them for his building, and that was like – raises some real questions. Charlie Kushner comes out and says things like, these ethics watchdogs, what is that? Why is that even a job? They need to get a life. <laughs> and um, he actually, I think he said very similar words to that in an interview. Um, and yeah, so it's just this it's just new era where everything looks corrupt. We don't know what's corrupt, what isn't. Um, they've just decided that public service is not that not as important as maintaining all their wealth. Well, it does look like the Trump family believes that they were elected for one reason only, which is to 
make as much money as they can in as little time as they yeah. can while they're there. Yes. I mean, not to serve the public, but to enrich themselves. And their their friends and donors. And their friends and donors, yeah. right. And he's appointed cabinet cabinet members who clearly have the same oh, man, yeah. goal in mind. Yes. Right? I mean... You look at just today. Did you see the Scott Pruitt story in the Washington Post yesterday? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, he was he clearly wants more money. He wants to live like this extravagant life that being a public servant does not necessarily grant him. And so, like, he's been trying to get his wife a job. Um, he was like demanding his wife, who I mean, was a registered nurse and I'm sure was a very good nurse, but wanting a two hundred thousand dollar job in D.C. What? job would that be you know you actually have to have some experience in this town to get a two hundred thousand dollar plus job and that's something like that is like ripe for corruption right it's like the why not create the republican attorney general's association like chevron fellow for clean government right <laughs> like and just pay her to do that um and then he was also asking his aides to um to do, like check his lease with that lobbyist um he, there was this one instance in that story where he asked one of his aides, who was maybe like 25, 26 years old, to um, put the uh, hotel on her personal credit card. Then he didn't pay her back for it. Like his chief of staff ended up paying her back for it. That's just like really rude and it's like disrespectful to these young staffers who aren't making as much money as you and are just trying to help. Right. Uh, but so you've got um, in, in, the, in terms of in the uh, in the the spirit of Donald Trump yeah. right? and I Ivanka and Jared and now Melania Trump as well, uh, Scott Pruitt, Ryan Zinke, Tom Price, David Shulkin, Ben Carson, yeah, Steve Mnuchin. I mean, and yeah, no, I mean, the just, list is long. Yeah, just last week, Ryan Zinke's been dealing with this situation where his like family, his his wife has this foundation in Whitefish, Montana, and. They're working to deal with like a Halliburton sub subsidiary that would uh, uh, increase the 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 price of the land that this foundation owns. And then uh, Zinke was meeting with the chairman of Halliburton at, at, like at Interior as they consider at, at Interior, yeah, as they consider opening up public lands to like oil and gas exploration, which would benefit Halliburton. It's just like I I, I don't. I, uh, there's just so many coincidences. Like, how many times is a how many times does a coincidence make like corruption? And um, that story is wild. There's uh, Wilbur Ross like shorting stocks like around the time that he hears that there might be a story about them, and so maybe he shorts them so he can make more money off them because he knows right. prices will drop. Right. Uh, so you know, uh, uh, one would have to assume. We don't know for sure, but one would have to assume. This is not what the founding fathers envisioned. Yeah, that's, I mean, right. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, a their, reason. Their, their idea of public service, you know, yeah. uh, wasn't that the goal was to get rich. Right. I mean, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, the uh, sure, some of the founding fathers were rich and they did some things they shouldn't, but they had this ideal that this is what the government should be, this is what the president should be. That's why they put in the Constitution... Um, these clauses, uh, like the emoluments clause, the foreign oh, bribery clause, yes. that said, you know, for example, the you the president can't take foreign can't take gifts from foreign governments. You know, we just like broke the yoke of like foreign tyranny, and the last thing they thought we want that they knew we needed was like the ability to for foreign governments to influence us. You know, and there's another clause about how the the president can't. Uh, 
take additional salary outside of his or like um, government from like go can't make money off government uh, properties or government funds outside of his salary. And you know, with the ownership of the hotel in D.C., um, which is a GSA-owned property, uh, government-owned property, he's doing that. So they they were clearly concerned about bribery and ethics, and he's like just. From day one, he has said, I don't care about those things. And he honestly set the example for the entire administration. As soon as he said, I'm not divesting, as soon as he didn't punish Kellyanne Conway within a couple of days when she like uh, advertised Ivanka's uh, business mm -hmm. on TV, that was set an example that, he, that ethics don't matter and you can do whatever you want and I'm not going to punish you. So the question is, um, facing... I think it's safe to say the most corrupt yeah. presidency that we've seen, yeah. certainly in modern times. Yeah. Let's not say, I don't want to sound like Donald Trump, forever. Maybe like 40 years. Yeah, but certainly for 40 years, yeah. right? Wouldn't yeah. you think? Yeah. Since the yeah. Nixon days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's being done about it? So it's a good question. Um, uh, I do think um, one of the key things... Just jumping in, but... I think the risk is that we accept whatever Donald Trump does as a new normal. Right. On many different fronts. His attacks on the media, yeah. you know, his attacks on his political opponents or whatever, his, his love with Fox News, all and and yeah. his money-making yeah. schemes as the new normal. Yeah, for it's, like, it's like when it comes to executive power, right? When you give executives more power, they don't want to give it back. And, like, right. every president yeah. doesn't want to give it yeah. back. Yeah. It's, it's, it feels like that with this ethics stuff. And that's why I think it's really important that, like, Republicans have made it clear that they're not going to hold him accountable, that they aren't going to do the oversight and investigations that they need to on this administration's corruption. Um, like, Trey Gowdy sort of tr sometimes pretends to, but um, they're not going to do what's necessary. So if Democrats retake Congress, um, they actually need to pass. They can't just do oversight. They can't just like subpoena and do investigations. They need to actually pass legislation. You can do. You can codify stronger ethics rules. You can codify um, uh, more transparency. You can do all of these things, and that's what they need to do. Um, you know, they're already. You're seeing sort of with the congressional a better deal for democracy package. Pelosi talking about culture of corruption, sort of seeing them bring this up in the in the campaign this year, mm -hmm. um, and they need to say that if if we take control of Congress next year, we are going to immediately a top priority is going to be rest, uh, restoring ethics laws, like overhauling our broken campaign finance system, and like really strengthening our democracy, and that has to be a key priority for them. Right, uh, you you use that phrase culture of corruption. Yeah. Uh, I'm flashing back. That's like 2006. That's is that when it was? 2006, yeah. right? Yeah, it was like the Tom Delay, um, yeah, Duke Cunningham, all of that sort of. Newt Gingrich. Uh, was he already gone by then? He was already gone by then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the Tom Delay. I, I think they even used like the Mark Foley stuff Absolutely. in there as part of the culture of it, corruption. All right. it was like that uh, that guy in Ohio with the coin scandal. There were all these scandals in 2006, and. Uh, they sort of said this is a culture of corruption, and what happened was so Nancy Pelosi yeah. particularly used that, and that was a Democrat slogan. Yeah, and By it worked. Way, and, we talked about all the scandals in 2006, which seems like a pretty nice time, actually, I, by I, comparison. I, I mean, mean <laughs> that Duke Cunningham like golden toilet scandal when he was like taking gifts for a boat from defense contractors. Yeah, they were pretty wild, but uh, it does sound kind of quaint. But you know what happened was they Democrats retook. 
Congress, and they passed that the Honest Leadership and Open Government Act, which was a good reforms of our lobbying system and how lobbying works, but it wasn't, and we need something bigger and more comprehensive. Right. Uh, but I think you're right. I mean, in terms of this gang that controls the Congress right now yeah. aren't going to do anything about no, absolutely about not. Donald Trump's conflicts of interest or or whatever. Right. Yeah. They will not. Yeah. They, I mean, they're spending money in his hotel. Like Republicans are like g- hanging out. Is so they're not even just like having fundraisers there. You you will be you will spot members of Congress just like having dinner at the Trump Hotel. They're like participating in this corruption. Well, yeah. Well, you know why they want to be seen that. They want Donald Trump to know they're there. Absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a list of members of Congress who, who had dinner there or had drinks there. Yeah. I, well, he was there they have for— somebody spot yeah. them. And then he shows up yeah. Uh, yeah. on occasion. It's why, you know who's also there that I think is funny is John Legere, the, the CEO of T-Mobile, is always hanging out at Trump's hotel. He's, they're currently in the middle of, like, a approval of a oh, merger. Yeah. yeah, And if you go to Instagram, by the way, Instagram is a great place to, like, check on Trump's corruption because everybody always tags themselves in photos at Trump's hotel, and you can find that. And you can see, like, him being tagged in all these photos just hanging out at Trump's hotel while his Department of Justice is trying to decide whether he sh- can do that merger. And it's just wild. Who puts up these photos on Instagram? Just random people. They're like, oh, look who I ran into, the oh, CEO of T-Mobile. Yeah. Or look who I ran into, Sean Spicer. They keep, All these people are, like, open to taking these photos. They're just random people posting them. But they're with all these uh, politicians and others. Huh. We should keep track of that. Yeah. People that show up at Trump Hotel. Yeah. One of my habits, just checking Instagram for corruption. (laughs) (laughs) Don't kid me. You're probably hanging out at the bar there. Oh, God. I have never been. I I mean, I've been outside to protest, but I've never actually been inside. I haven't been inside either. I just can't. Look at Bill. Look at (laughs) Bill. Yeah, Bill, have you been in? I crashed a party there once. Yeah. Uh, I I, I vowed never to go. It looks nice. It's very, very. Uh, attractive. Yeah, I know I people mean, who travel they, and they, they stay a, in Trump hotels sometimes, and they're just like Trump hotels are wonderful. Like they're really, really the, nice. The, the lobby of the hotel is spectacular. It's pretty. Uh, but I vowed never to go in, yeah. and I went in only because there was a book party that I wanted to crash. I had okay. not, not been invited, and yeah. I just thought it would be to see if I could get in. Yeah. And so I went in for that purpose and crashed the party. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, turned a lot of heads. A lot of people were saying, "What the hell are you doing here?" <laughs> But <laughs> so that was the only time I was in. I won't yeah. go back. Yeah. Uh, but you're, you're right. That that's a good place to see people hanging out. So, but that it gets us back to something that we have talked about before, yeah. which is the latest on the emoluments clause. Yes. So there's this, which, ongoing- as you indicated earlier, means that under the Constitution, Donald Trump cannot accept money from foreign governments, which he's accepting every single day yeah. at that property and other properties, but particularly this property. Yeah, and there's also this domestic emoluments clause around how he can accept money from, from government and that sort of thing. And there's this ongoing challenge from the D.C. and Maryland governments, which says um, the, that because uh, trade associations, foreign governments, others are going straight to his hotel. They're hurting the businesses of hotels and convention centers in right. Maryland and the District yeah. of Columbia. Yeah, he has an unfair advantage. Yeah, so that's how they're seeking standing. And so there was a hearing. There, The judge has seemed open to the arguments that there should be like a trial on this or there should be a case. You know, he has been, he has been, he has not been that receptive to the government's 
push to dismiss it. Um, and yeah. so I think in, Ju- there, in July... The Trump administration is trying to dismiss it. Yeah, they've it. been trying to say, no, the, this is not mm-hmm. emoluments, this is different, this is not this, not that, this is not what the founders intended, sort of some weird... Um, uh, uh, the, it's it's weird arguments they're making, and so I think July there will be the judge will release the next step. So the question is, will the judge let it go forward into the evidence gathering phase? And the evidence gathering phase is when you start to maybe get tax returns and other things like that, which Trump has refused to release, and that's when it starts to get interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. This could be the this could be the door if 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 Robert Mueller doesn't have the tax returns yeah. yet. Which I think he does, but this could bring them out. This is one way to get yes, to them. Yes, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, right. And then the other legal challenge that uh, Donald Trump faces, which we've talked about before, uh, and what's the latest on the foundation, uh, the Trump, the New York Attorney General yeah. saying that the Trump Foundation is basically a bogus foundation. Yeah. They they've been using money that was ostensibly raised for charitable purposes yeah. and using them. Pretty cut and dry stuff. Pretty cut yeah. and dry. I yeah. mean, there is an email from like Corey Lewandowski, who was Trump's campaign manager, helping to direct the funds of the can- of the foundation money to somewhere else. That's illegal. And um, you know, there's things around the how the kids were board members, and if you become a board member of a charity, you accept fiduciary responsibilities, and they never met. And um, so there's some real cut and dry. These are clearly laws were broken stuff. Like you had to try you. It, Basically, if they said, here are all the rules to not, here are all the rules to run a charity, they said, okay, we're going to break all of them. (laughs) And so there was a hearing, I think, last week with a judge in the case who basically told Trump organization lawyers that they should settle. Um, They said, listen, you should just settle this. Um, The kids, like the New York Attorney General wants the kids to agree to not be on the boards or fundraise for nonprofits for a set number of years, shut the foundation down. And the judge said- Shut the foundation down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it is a phony foundation. It's absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were using it to, what was it, to- to to pay for a lawsuit about a flagpole down at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, the charity to to buy a big- uh, Portrait of Donald yeah. Trump that's yeah. hanging in the lobby of yeah. Mar a Lago. And like, none of the money actually came from Trump. Usually, family foundations have money yeah. from the family. Yeah, and, that's uh, what it's all about. Yeah, and this one d- didn't have really any money. So, they've asked that the judge has basically said you should settle. I mean, there is, there's no gray, there's not a lot of gray area with the, what the evidence that they have, and it looks pretty bad. So, I imagine that Trump said Trump never likes to settle, except, but I, I bet they'll settle. Yeah. Isn't this the, uh, the foundation where um, that uh, when they had he had the big fundraiser during the campaign, yes, uh, for veterans, ostensibly yes. for veterans, yeah. and he raised all this money, yeah, supposedly for the foundation. And we turned out that turned out that the foundation didn't. Uh, it, it, they ended up giving some money, but yeah, that that's like where that email I mentioned from Trump's campaign pay manager comes in, where that is just oh. illegal, a, a, a political. A uh, campaign manager cannot direct a private foundation uh, for political purposes ahead of the caucus. Co- I mean, this was ahead of the caucus, Iowa caucus. They were trying to direct that money. That is just blatantly illegal. Yeah. Uh, one wonders where this issue, um, and we talk about it a little bit when we talk about the culture of corruption, whether this whole, <laughs> all these evidences of corruption, and you put them all together, yeah. would become an issue in the 2018 campaign. I mean, if Democrats can use this yeah. as they did against Tom DeLay. Yeah. And taking back the House in 2006. Well, 
I think the key is to talk about how, I mean, the, like, the number one issue for voters is what, healthcare, right? So I think the key is to talk about how this corruption impacts all the issues they care about and to talk about this sort of culture of corruption, how, you know, uh, Donald Trump is uh, personally profiting out of the presidency, okay. giving handouts to drug makers, and your healthcare is still super expensive. And how talking about how all this corruption impacts these issues that they care about, I think that's the real key to this. Um, and to then say, uh, when I get to Washington, I'm going to fight this corruption. I'm going to fight Trump. Trump's corruption. I'm also going to fight the corruption of uh, drug makers and health insurance companies and big oil. And I'm going to fight for uh, a system that works for you. And I think you have to tie all those together. Right. Um, well, you at least are doing it at every voice uh, with a little help from the s attorney generals of District of Columbia yeah. and the state of Maryland as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and every voice you can follow the work of Adam Smith and his colleagues at every voice at everyvoice.org. Well, um, keep on the case. That's Thanks. all we can ask, you know. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and um, <laughs> and then, uh, y you know, there's going to be, you'll be back in to talk about more examples of corruption. Every day, yeah. Every day. Yep. With Scott Pruitt, there's a story every day. Just, yeah. It's, it's, it's I, I quit. Just become a lobbyist. Live the life you think you're entitled to. I mean, he is the swampiest of all the swamps. I don't get it. Of all the Go cash out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he's trying to have it both ways, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Make all the money a lobbyist would make, and yet still have all the power. Of the, still have the administrator, power. yeah, right. And you know what? As long as he's wrecking the environment, Donald Trump will keep him. That's there. right. Yeah. All right. Great to see you, Adam. When we come back, Donald Trump, we have never, never seen uh, here again. Never seen so much corruption. Never seen a president so in love with one television network. Gets guess which one. Angelo Carasone joins us from Media Matters for America coming up next year on this July 4th edition of the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. show anywhere you go download our free podcast search for the bill press show on itunes and catch the highlights from every show and a happy fourth of july and thank you for joining us for a special bill press fourth of july edition uh, of the show coming to you live as always from a studio on capitol hill in washington dc and uh, what better way to celebrate the fourth of july than talk about one of our greatest freedoms in the united states uh, the First Amendment and the freedom of the press, which is, of course, under attack uh, every day by the President of the United States. Nobody keeps us uh, more informed on what's going on in the world of the media than Media Matters for America, a great, a great organization. We've told you many times we could not do our job uh, in progressive media, particularly without the work of Media Matters for America, because... Uh, they do um, all this dirty work that we don't have to do. <laughs> they watch and listen to Rush Limbaugh every day and all the rest of the right-wingers uh, and then put out the facts to refute their lies. Uh, and uh, that's a great, great work under the leadership of Angela Carasone, the president of Media Matters for America, joining us in the studio. Angela, good to see you. Nice to see you as well. Thank you again for uh, being you. there, all that you were doing. Uh, on one related issue. We saw um, a tragic case last week of the 
cold-blooded murder of five journalists at the Capitol Gazette mm-hmm. up in a local newspaper out of Annapolis, Maryland. The services for the five uh, journalists who were killed or a couple of days ago, the mayor of Annapolis asked the president of the United States to order the lowering of flags for that one day in honor of the five journalists. The president of the United States said no. Yep. What does that tell you? I mean, I think it underscores his hostility and antagonism toward the news media. And in particular, it's not just that he has this direct antagonism toward the news media. It's really more about the story that he's been telling uh, his supporters, right? Which is that the news media is evil, they're bad. Um, And so you don't drop the flags at half staff for people that you fundamentally think are evil and bad, right? Um, And that's really what I think it, it, it puts together, is that it isn't just the attacks every day that undermine the norms which protect and preserve free press and free speech but actually it's the the thing that really scares me is that he's going he's already gone one step further which is to to vilify an entire profession um and then now you see the outcome of that so it's it's the callousness and the dehumanization associated with it which is it, it's underscored in this flag and situation. to take it that far yeah right that okay you don't like the media you bitch about them you complain about them you call them the enemy of the american people but i mean something like this happens right and you won't even show respect for these people as Americans, as individuals. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no room for nuance in, you know, when you're sort of following, you know, his in, in his first day in office, even before then, but in his first day in office, he started following the authoritarian playbook. We saw it play out, right, which was you, you simultaneously <laughs> erode and undermine any trust in the institutions that are responsible for being the arbiters of truth, which is journalists, um, and then you present a set of alternative in that case, facts. They were even explicit about it. They said they're calling them alternative facts. They got blowback and walked away from it a little bit, but the the principle still remained, which was that you know he really wants himself to be the the sole source of information and news for a very large part of the populace, um, and that means that you don't get to say that some of these guys are good guys or bad guys. It's all they're all evil. There's no room for nuance, um, and that that's that's what I think was underscored by the flag thing. It's unsettling at best. We have seen many examples of uh, Donald Trump's affinity with Fox News, particularly Fox and Friends. But perhaps uh, uh, the relationship could not uh, have moved any closer to the latest from the White House is that he hasn't accepted, it hasn't been announced officially yet, but that Donald Trump is going to make his new communications director, Bill Shine, the former vice president of Fox News. President. Co-president. President. Yeah, I'm yeah. He, but president. he was a vice president, too, and then, and then, and then yeah, he became had a bump. Yeah. President, right. Um, right. Yeah, you know, he was a... And, and I, I, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> how much how much closer could the two of them get, right? Or how much could they just be clearly one and the same, almost? You, killed, you couldn't possibly get any closer than Bill Shine, because Bill Shine... What's important to understand about Bill Shine is that he's as closest... He's as close a thing to Roger Ailes as Roger Ailes. Um, and he was an acolyte of Roger Ailes's at Fox News for for years, and helped uh, Roger Ailes stay there That's despite right. all the scandals. Yeah, right? and in, and even beyond, and so he helped cover up for Roger Ailes. He ran interference for him during all the scandals. He 
for some of the women that had reported Bill O'Reilly internally, it was mm-hmm. Bill Shine that had engaged in some of the retaliation against them. Um, and he was the principal decision maker when it came time to re-sign Bill O'Reilly's contract. And that's partly why he was forced out. And um, at the time, and I think we even talked about it, what Hannity was up in arms about the prospect yes, of Bill Shine yeah, even leaving. Right, right. Um, and it's because of who, what he really represents, which is sort of the, the, you know, the core of traditional Fox News over there. I believe that uh, Hannity once said that if, if, if Bill Shine were forced out, he would leave. Yeah, right? that's right. That's how close they were. Absolutely. And he, you know, there were, there was both business reasons for him not doing it and technical reasons. His contract had a clause in there that said if Roger Ailes were to leave, he could exercise and get out of his contract. They never extended it to Bill Shine, but in spirit, Sean Hannity thought that that provision in the contract applied to Bill Shine. That's how much Bill Shine was a reflection of Roger Ailes, that he really thought that the part of his contract that let him get out if Roger Ailes left also applied to Bill Shine, even though he wasn't even named it. All right. So Sean Hannity uh, doesn't succeed in keeping Bill Shine at Fox News, but he does succeed yeah. in getting him, getting his buddy, Donald Trump, to make Bill Shine his communications director. Yeah, and I think it's really, you know, the way they're doing it, too, is, is I think, an illustration of the next steps, which is that they're calling the title deputy chief of staff uh, in charge of uh, communications, which is a an interesting twist on... Oh, the, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It's a I didn't clear, realize that. Yeah, and that's showing that they have this intention of giving him a wider footprint than just being a very traditional comms director, which is a pretty big job by itself. Um, and that's the argument that can impose the kinds of rigorous discipline that you saw at Fox News um, to the Trump White House in a way that aligns them around a cult of personality, uh, as opposed to, say, Kelly, who might be a very competent administrator, um, and even if he's ideologically aligned with many of Trump's policies, he's obviously not bought into this larger cult of personality in the way that, say, somebody like Bill Shine is is pretty used to. No, and it's more and more clear that Kelly doesn't deny it either. Kelly's on his way out. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. And 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 um, Bill Shine kind of moving in and assuming a lot of responsibility, no matter who the new chief of staff would yeah, be. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, from what I read, it was reported that um, that so Shine meets with the president, and then he calls a meeting in the Roosevelt Room of the communications staff and the press press office staff, basically saying, "Hey." I'm your new boss. You know, here's how we're going to be operating. And he hasn't even been announced even yet having the job, but he's already (laughs) directing the staff, right? Yeah, and I I, I think that he is going to be a, um, you know, Bill. one of the things about Bill Shine that to me is uh, makes me uncomfortable is that um, at Fox News even, he was, even though he didn't have a very big public profile, um, he is somebody that's not, uncomfortable with exercising every single possible level lever of power. And the thing that I would just flag for liberals about Bill Shine in particular is that he's a very big fan of the poison pill um, and eroding things from inside. So he finds parts of, say, the left that he can turn against each other um, and weaponize through relationships either or through direct incentives. Um, he has a history of doing that um, at Fox and even on his way out when he was mm-hmm. in a scrum and was trying to save his job, was pretty aggressive about trying to apply every possible pressure point. And I think 
given this new perch, that that's a, a real threat that will be happening under the scenes that we won't even be realizing. So this, you know, the Philadelphia Inquirer, you know, cartoonist that gets fired, uh, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, the, this, the Pittsburgh Gazette, I'm sorry, paper, uh, right. uh, cartoonist that gets fired, you know, and cause, because of some of the soft pressure around the editorial direction, I anticipate that you will see that happening all across the country at every single news outlet, whether they be print, online, or television, that he's the kind of guy that would actually really shape the editorial policies, you know, paper, outlet by outlet, because of the way that he... Uh, and put pressure on that's all, right. all, these, all yep. these outlets. That's right. right. I mean, again, when, so this is, this is the uh, ultimate expression of it. But Trump's identification with Fox News, whether it was, you know, John Bolton, commentator on Fox News, Janine Pirro... They've been talking about it. She wants to have some big new job in the administration or whatever. You know, the attorney general, who knows what, after Jeff Sessions is gone. He was going to hire Joe DeGeneva because he saw Joe DeGeneva on Fox. Yep. You know, he he talks to Sean Hannity two or three times a day, watches Fox and Friends every morning. Andrew Napolitano, he gets his... (laughs) Legal cues from Andrew Napoli. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he is a creature of. There's no daylight between Donald Trump and Fox News. No, there isn't. Is there? Um, I mean, because he is a he is a he he's a media creature at this point, and he gets the storylines, and he understands the importance of that. But that's really it. The perception that Fox News can create, that any media can create, um, is really all that he cares about. He doesn't care about the act, the practical policies. Um, he cares ultimately about the perception that the storylines create. And then the other side of it is that he understands the power that the media can have. You can tank stocks. You know, you can you can turn people against a particular brand or an outlet. You can get people in the streets. You can make people do things based off of the media. He understands the importance of it. He doesn't dismiss it. And, um, and you know, what I think where Fox comes in is that it's both a, a an ends justify the means kind of approach to politics – um, with wrapped around a, a, a largely malevolent core, and that is Donald Trump. I mean, you know, he's that, that is a yeah. perfect. He understands that um, truly, no. and it makes well, sense. He to does. Him. No, he's brilliant at manipulating the media the way he does. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, is there ever any critical voice or criticism of the Trump administration or Trump policies on uh, from Fox News? Uh, inside, yeah. Um, in fact, uh, and this is where I think you know what one thing that's a, a little bit of a bright spot, um, although it can go in either direction, is that you know last year when Sean Hannity started losing advertisers because of the Seth Rich stuff, coupled with most recently Laura yeah. Ingram, you know their advertising revenue is down anywhere between twenty and twenty five percent across the board because of the losses. They're very deep. I mean, at Laura Ingram's show used to have thirty eight commercials a show. She only has fifteen commercials. During her paid commercials, really during huh. her show, yeah. I mean, they, they've had a cut. So it has really had an impact. Without a doubt, twenty-five percent of ad revenue for Fox yeah. News is a, yeah. is a is hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a lot of money that they, that they're losing. The and one one of the consequences, because this has been a steady, persistent beat. The media buyers have largely turned against the the most of their programming, um, but internally now it's reached this point because it's so sustained that you actually have Fox News executives who are uh, who sort of operate on the business side of things who are responsible for mm-hmm. you know getting the advertisers to yeah, buy these right, blocks sure. of time uh, levying criticism against their own internal talent and so there's been this for the last couple of weeks and then we saw this come to a head at the end of last week but for the last couple of weeks there were some some very senior Fox executives on the business side that were saying that our Fox primetime 
is just it's unpalatable it's bad for business we can't sell the ads one it's covered it's cya right if you're if your entire livelihood is selling ads and you all of a sudden yeah, cancel yeah. ads you're gonna blame and they have a legitimate reason so it's yeah, not like they right so right. you're starting to see that happen but just at the end of because it's reached such a critical mass at the end of last week fox's new ceo um actually issued a organization-wide memo basically telling people to dial it back, which was similar to Roger Ailes's course correction memo um, after they fired Glenn Beck. And it's because it has reached a critical mass. So there actually are some voices that are saying this is too bad, and it's the, those voices are their, their business side executives and part of their new CEO. But the, then the, what happens there is what scares me the most, which is that it goes either two directions. Either Fox News is Hannity and Ingram... Um, dial it back, which is actually a good thing. Um, a little bit softens, it, it cools things down, or um, they start to cannibalize Fox News. So um, I think we're in, in sort of right on the edge of some some turmoil there for a, a little while. And we saw what happens when they will cannibalize. Like when Sean Hannity went after Keurig, that was a Fox News advertiser. In fact, Keurig does a thing on Fox & Friends called Keurig Corner every morning now. Mm. I mean, they're a prominent Fox News advertiser, but were pretty badly damaged by one of Fox News' own talent because he didn't like something that Keurig, the coffee maker, did. And it's, you know, they are willing to attack their own sometimes, especially now that Roger Ailes is gone. So we're right on the edge, I think, of seeing some of the these issues, these tensions bubble over. But so if there has been a diminution in uh, significant yeah. in uh, ad revenue, we haven't seen that in ratings, though, have we? No, definitely not. And that's the big question. One thing that there's history here. One thing that's interesting is that the ratings will stay the same as long as the programming stays the same. I and mean, there's a ba Fox's ratings will never really go down too much because there's this sort of baked in audience and it's all be, I mean, it's pretty solid. But um, one thing that was interesting about Glenn Beck's content was that, you know, after the, the first wave of advertisers fled and he was really he reached a critical mass, he started to modulate a little bit, which is surprising. And he went through different periods. But every if you look at the, the that over trends, when he started to dial down some of his conspiracy theories, his ratings dipped proportionally with it as well. And so if Hannity and Ingram were to, say, dial back, yeah, right. some of the audience just tunes out. It's better for them to tune into the podcast with Mike Cernovich, you know, or Roger Stone on Alex Jones than to watch <laughs> Hannity. And that's what happens. They'll get their fix elsewhere. Uh, it, it, I guess it is comforting to know that there is somebody crazier than Fox News, and that is Alex Jones, right? Oh, is God, that? yeah. 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 In fact, I we are Media Matters is starting a civil war today, according to Alex Jones. I oh, I was mocking oh. him on Twitter because I saw him tweet it out. I know I was very excited, so I was mocking this ridiculous tweet. And then after I got done making fun of it, I went and watched the video. And literally, the video was Media Matters is planning a civil war. I'm like, oh my god, I should have watched the video first before I. <laughs> I didn't even realize we were doing this. Um, uh, and what are you starting a civil war over? Uh, media Matters. I mean, he names the organization. Oh, yeah, yeah. Media Matters, George oh. Soros, you know, the left. and media, But he Media Matters is one of his biggest targets. Yeah. And But I was really impressed by the idea that we were starting a civil war on the 4th of July, um, which I thought was interesting because it means we're patriotic. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, and, sure. <laughs> That's what 4th of July is all about, right? Uh, but, yeah, he is completely crazy, so— you're starting the civil war against the rest of the against Trump. It's an insurrection. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's 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 really his big thing. So <laughs> I don't even understand. I, I can't explain Alex Jones. I mean, he's a guy that thinks Obama and Hillary Clinton are interdimensional demons. I mean, 
uh, who talks to Trump, by the way, every every few weeks. He doesn't talk to him as much as still? Hannity does. Yeah, still. Yeah. And he um, did. He did. He appeared on the yeah. Infowars when he was yeah. as a candidate. Yeah, he right? did. Yeah. Uh, you December. can't be too crazy for Donald Trump. No, no, definitely not. I mean, he loves the storytelling side of it. It's a fantastic tale. Um, and the you know couple that with the merchandising. I mean, all Alex do- Alex Jones does is sell you products to improve your testosterone um, in some way, shape, or form. You know, and that's that's his big thing. Because um, Obama put all those chemicals in the water, so you got to get them out, and um, that's why you're so weak. And it's it's amazing. His his entire storyline is that oh, you know Democrats made you weak and soft, and you just need to buy this Alex Jones juice. <laughs> Have we ever seen a um, a network, or a radio network, or TV network as um, loyal to or uh, as supportive of a Democratic president as we? I've seen a Fox News. No, I mean, nothing even close. There's to nothing it. even close. No, right? And it makes sense, right? Because Fox News was born out of an idea of creating a, a political operation masquerading as a news network. Um, I mean, that from was the beginning. Absolutely. From the beginning. I mean, I mean, yeah. Roger Ailes had this idea when he was working for Nixon to create some kind of an apparatus. Um, and even when they were then and you sort of saw some indication of it when he was working for Nixon as a media person, because they were doing those staged events, you know, where Nixon was very jocular and they had those big like, you know, public setting. You know, group setting is supposed to be, you know, these these town hall kind of things, but they were all actors. You know, the people in the town hall were not actual like voters. They it was a setup, but it made him look, you know, friendly and you mm-hmm. know affable. Um, and it was a it was a media construction, and it's you know born out of that that work that he did with Nixon was this idea that you know conservatives needed to build an apparatus like this, and he didn't really get the chance to do it until Fox News. And, and so and and so today, um, you've got Fox totally in the pocket of Donald Trump. But is CNN or MSNBC, could you identify either one of them as totally opposed to Donald Trump? I think that they, you know, their content is obviously very negative. But I, I, I you know, obviously there's a lot of criticism of him, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable saying that they're, that they're opposed to Donald Trump because I think that they're still deeply enabling Donald Trump um, because Trump is a media creature and tells a story. Even when their coverage itself seems negative, if it lines up with the same story that Trump is telling, it's not necessarily negative. So if Trump says, I'm tough, I'm a tough guy, I'm tough on borders, and all the criticism on MSNBC and CNN is how he's a tough guy, um, all they're really doing is reinforcing the narrative that he's telling. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't criticize him. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't be covering him the way that they do. But I still don't think that either have actually learned their lessons of, of 2016 because it's so damn good for business. Yeah. Um so what what can they do? I mean, ignore it. Can't you can't ignore Donald no. Trump? I mean, it's it's a conundrum that we all face, right? Yeah. You see these crazy tweets. Yep. Uh, or when he says Republicans got to go out and vote for this immigration bill, and then two days later he says, "I never asked the Republicans to vote for the immigration bill." You sort of have to. I don't know. Do you report that or not report it? Right. No, there's a question of doing that. I think one thing that happens is that the crowds out, it it it, it eliminates the possibility that other people have uh, identities too. So, for example, the person responsible for implementing much of Trump's Im- like draconian immigration policies was Secretary Nielsen from Homeland Security. Um, and she should have been the face of that policy, not Trump, um, because she was the one that was doing it every day. And that doesn't mean that. And so it's a conversation about Trump, but it also personalizes it in a way that's very critical. It makes it about her. It makes it about the Department of Homeland Security. Um, and when you do that, 
people become necessarily territorial and defensive. Nobody likes eating other somebody else's dog food um, unless you're a real loyalist, you know. But <laughs> right. we've seen that even with Trump. Even people that are most intensely loyal to Trump, you know, back away because they eventually just you get sick and tired of eating it, like Michael Cohen. Yeah. And and I think that's one of the things that the news media can do is they can make the coverage a little bit more holistic. Um, I th- you're right; it's impossible to ignore him, and I don't think that he should. I don't think just saying that helps either. And I I, I wouldn't make that argument. But I think it's when 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 Nielsen became the face for that that twenty four hours. Oh, oh yeah, well, things changed, didn't they? Real yeah. fast. Oh yeah, and I oh, think no. and that's well, the thing I think makes and partly because of that disastrous briefing that she did. Totally, the, it was a mess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's the stuff that's important is to make sure that we don't let all these other enablers off the hook. Uh, and implementers, and that is because boiling it all down to him is like a black hole. There's nothing, you know. His brand is so elastic that you know people, even people that fundamentally disagree with him, even if they're supporters, but they say, "Oh, that thing he said is terrible. I don't like it at all." They say, "But he's just negotiating. That's just smart business, right?" Because that's the story he's told, which is that this is what I do. Come on, I'm not actually crazy. I'm just getting out there to win. Yeah. And and so they give him the benefit of the doubt too much, but that's that that same elasticity doesn't apply to those around him. So what happens when you get to a Fox and they're they're down the road 100% with Donald Trump that this summit in North Korea, for, for example, just one example. Yeah. The summit is so successful, and, and we have a whole new now peace, peace in the Korean Peninsula. And then a week later, there are stories like North Korea is still building nukes yeah. or, st- or they're hiding them or they're figuring out how they can hide them from the United States and basically doing nothing. And sort of the rug is pulled out from under Fox. Do they ever admit that Donald Trump's summit didn't change anything? No, not at all. Um, In fact, they're still making the argument that it's complete denuclearization. Um, I mean, that's they're using the same language that he used in the first few hours after the summit ended, and they are absolutely in line with it, except for Shep Smith, who's sort of on this island onto himself at this point over there. It's Um, amazing to me that Shep Smith has survived. Well, they need him because they have a broad. You know, it's they have one hour a day, I guess. That it they, is, yeah. and they need him for. You know, they own all these local stations too, and they have all these affiliates. And they, you know, Murdoch has plans to expand their local footprint in the same way that Sinclair has. And you know, when there's breaking news at the at the national level, and they need to break into local, it's Shep Smith's face that appears on all the Fox affiliates all across the country. Um, it's not Bill O'Reilly or Hannity or Ingram. or any, It's Shepard Smith. And so he has managed to leverage a important aspect that to Fox, which is are those some of those licenses and their affiliates. To be, and he's their only credible voice, honestly, that they can actually put out there that's palatable to their affiliates. And so in a way, he has a uniquely interesting piece of leverage on Fox that hmm. mo- nobody else there really has, which is, they won't. They won't have anybody to put on air at a, at a breaking news moment that's palatable to their affiliates. If Shep Smith walked, you mentioned Sinclair Broadcasting. Uh, <laughs> talk about the evil empire. Uh, I, I've I've lost track of where is their uh, plan to take over. Yeah, uh, and to, to, to they were buying another what seventy five stations. They're buying. Or so? uh, f- it's a little over forty. It puts them though. It it. That they'll be able to reach more than like seventy five percent of the country. Yeah, that's once the that, number. Yeah, that, okay. yeah, and um, and that and it's the first time that you know Sinclair is a mostly operating conservative area, so they've been able to reinforce politics. And for context, Sinclair was running Swift Boat ads that even Fox News was rejecting back in two thousand four. That's how far out there this station, uh, this network actually is. And they uh, so they're buying Tribune that gave them forty stations. Most of them are in swing areas, and the um, so where the deal is right now is they're. It's moving along. 
Um, it is still likely to go through. They may have to peel off a couple of the stations because there are going to be some markets where Sinclair Broadcasting owns three of the local news stations. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's just, that's insane. Um, and regardless of what their ideology was, that would be insane. So they may have to spin off a couple, but within the next 30 to 45 days, the um, the the deal will, will, will probably be finalized and, and executed unless something inter, inter, intersects. Uh, and the thing that I find so troubling about Sinclair is that if you've got a Fox affiliate, like here in D.C., you know it's a Fox affiliate. Yeah. You know, it's, you're watching Fox, right? That's right. Uh, if you're watching a Sinclair station, you don't know it's a Sinclair station. No idea. Do you think Channel 7 locally here, right? And then suddenly in the middle of the day pops up a commentary Yeah. from this guy that— Boris Epstein, yeah. But yeah, yeah, Boris Epstein that, that Sinclair puts out there. And, and, and this is their content that you have to run yeah. if, you, if they own you. Right, right. It's a must run. You must run must, it, and right. you absolutely have no choice. And so it people don't it know, so they think it's a local station. Yeah. Suddenly, with this, that's uh, right. And they replaced the talent. I mean, you know, they've they they've knocked out some five o'clock news programming and replaced them with local right wing radio hosts, and they're just pretending as if they're actual like local news anchors. I mean, yeah. they really operate, and and they they operate as if they're a national network. Um, but they they you know it's all distributed, and that's that's what makes them so insidious, really. And it's the one thing that people still trust, regardless of their political ideologies, their local news. Yeah, um, they yeah. just don't think it it has an agenda, right, you know. And right. and obviously now it does, at least in the form of Sinclair. All right, now uh, to wrap up this basically pessimistic look <laughs> at the media today, uh, when I'm asked about the role of the media today. Um, I, I usually make this comment. I want to see if you agree or not. That as 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 uh, uh, just terrible as it is, Donald Trump's constant attacks on the media and describing us as the enemy of the American people, yeah. on and on. That he has also generated, I think, some of the best investigative reporting that we've seen in maybe since Watergate. Without a doubt, we we agree with that. I think that's one of the best takeaways from Trump, and there is that he has given a incentive for journalism again, um, for real investigative, long-form reporting. They will let reporters work on stories now for months in ways that they never would have resourced years ago. Yeah. Um, because, and you see it particularly, yeah. I think, from the Washington Post and yeah. the New York Times. Absolutely. And other out- I mean, I've seen that. Do. Even the CNN, Guardian, for example, you know, they CNN. added hundreds of reporters to their to their ranks, even though they're not on air, to yeah. beef up yeah. their programming. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the resurgence of actual long-form and investigative journalism has actually seen, it, it has, has really happened a lot under on, because of Trump. It's a good response to him. It's um, and I think it underscores the importance of the of the press and and what they can be. And it's 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 a takeaway that I I think it, it will last. I think it will be a lasting legacy of of Trump is the recognition that that kind of work is just just too damn valuable. Right. No. Uh, and a lot of the stories that we that we would never know if it weren't for the work of these journalists at all. Right? Yep, I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. And I, I definitely so, agree with you there. Totally. So that <laughs> that's one good <laughs> bit yeah. of good news here. Yep. Yeah. God bless America. Happy Fourth Fourth of July. Check out Media Matters. You ought to follow them every day. MediaMatters.org. Angela Carazone, thanks so much for coming in. Happy Fourth. And happy Fourth to all of you, uh, friends and neighbors. We'll be back uh, Thursday with the regular edition of the Bill Press Show. Have a great day. Happy Fourth. See See you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.